Hold the phone. Hold the phone. This is Katie's birthday episode. Happy birthday, Katie. (laughs) Happy birthday, Katie. (laughs) Thank you. Well, my birthday's tomorrow, and it will be over a week over by the time everyone listens to this. But thank you so much. Nope, it's Katie's birthday episode. Done. It's Katie's birthday episode. Happy birthday, Katie. Everyone tweet their uh, tweet at TUW podcast. Happy birthday, Katie. (laughs) Oh, I will be so happy if that happens. That would be beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful. Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water. One podcast. I'm Katie Johns, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. I'm Bob Crossan, Senior Managing Editor of Water and Waste Digest. And I'm Lauren Delcello, Managing Editor for Water Quality Products. In this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we'll discuss ASDWA's releasing a statement state implementation framework for lead service line inventories, as well as upcoming water-focused social media events to participate in. We're also close to celebrating our 50th episode, and we'll let you know how to join in on the fun with us. Finally, our interview this month is with Donnell Duncan, Associate Vice President for Arcadis, and Megan U. Schneider, Client Account Leadership for Accenture. Together, they co-chair WEF's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. I spoke with them about the WEF Committee's initiatives and goals, the importance of DEI to the industry, and how, play, how age plays into DEI. But first, Lauren, you want to talk about our 50th episode coming up? Absolutely. Thank you, Katie. So you did tease a little bit that we have some ideas on how listeners can get in on the fun. Next month is going to mark our 50th numbered episode of the Talking Underwater podcast. We did have quite a bit of special show coverage, special lockdown episodes, and value of water episodes as well that we haven't included in the official numbering. So might be a little over there, but in honor of the big 5-0, we want to hear from you, our lovely listeners. So send us your favorite water jokes for consideration for the March episode, cold open intro, also coincidentally in honor of World Water Day and get in on the action with us. So email us your favorite water jokes at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com. And if we get a lot of good gems we'll include some on our twitter account too at tuw podcast so come have some fun with us send us a note we appreciate you listening and joining us on this journey i am very excited about this i hope we get a a lot of jokes i love good jokes so (laughs) it'll be great um but i I, unfortunately i have to pivot to something a little more serious the lead and copper rule revisions um as was noted by katie at the top of the episode the uh association of state drinking water administrators released its state implementations framework for lead service line inventories on february 9th Um, they have been conducting some webinars on the lead and copper rule revisions and what that means for states and for utilities i really recommend that you check those out there's a lot of great information in there and to see this state implementation framework definitely check out our website we have some in our we have the link in our show notes as well and make sure that you go to the asdwa website asdwa.org to learn more about their webinars, to register for those webinars, and to also get this framework uh, resource for you to use in your state.
And also I wanted to quickly touch on the 22nd National Groundwater Awareness Week. So the National Groundwater Association and the Groundwater Foundation announced that Groundwater Awareness Week will take place from March 6th to March 12th. An annual observance established in 1999 to highlight the responsible development, management, and use of groundwater. The event is also a platform to encourage yearly water well testing and well maintenance and the promotion of policies impacting groundwater quality and supply. It sounds like a great time for community engagement and public awareness of water issues and exploring how groundwater impacts other facets of water's story. And speaking of, there are other fun social events to watch out for in March, namely International Women's Day and Women's History Month, World Plumbing Day, Fix a Leak Week, and capping off the month is World Water Day on March 22nd. So be sure to participate in those and, and stay aware. And I'm sure we'll be having some social media posts about all of those too. So look out um, on our Twitter page. Yep, always super fun time of year, March and April, spring seems like there's always a lot of fun water social media events going on and a good way to start a conversation in, in the water community and at your community at large. So I'm sure all of our brands will be engaging with this as well as talking underwater and on water media. So let's have some fun. And now, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, we are going to share my interview with Donnell Duncan, Associate Vice President of Arcadis, and Megan U. Schneider, Client Account Leadership for Accenture, who together co-chair West Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. So here is that interview. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Underwater. I am Katie Johns, and today I'm joined by Danelle Duncan, Associate Vice President for Arcadis, and Megan U. Schneider, Client Account Leadership with Accenture. Together, the two are co-chairs of West Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, and today we are going to have a discussion revolving around those three, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So, Megan and Danelle, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. So happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, great. So to get us started, can you guys tell us about the WEF committee that you co-chair and its goals? Um, you want to go first, Megan, or I can go first? Go for it. <laughs> right, so just a quick understanding of the WEF committee. We started uh, with a task force, uh, D&I task force, a workforce D&I task force, just to explore uh, what WEF's approach would be mm -hmm. uh, concerning D&I. And, and then that grew into uh, several recommendations from the task force. Okay. Uh, one included having the committee and also uh, engaging a consultant to work with WEF, uh, a DEI consultant, to help WEF chart the course forward. So we pre pretty much spent the first year focusing on coming up with a DEI strategic plan for the organization to bring together all the efforts because ever since 2020, there's been a lot of excitement around DNI. Right. So different parts of the company or the organization started doing different initiatives and people were all excited to do things. And our job was to bring it all together behind one vision, one strategic plan and find a way to help move the industry forward in a cohesive manner. Gotcha, okay. And so what are some initiatives you guys have enacted? And then what do you, you know, what are some goals and things you have coming down the pipeline that you hope to implement? 
Yeah. And, and before we dive into that, you know, I just wanted to also emphasize that while, you know, many of our efforts probably became amplified and emphasized as a result of what happened um, in more recent years, WEF has constantly been evaluating this topic of, you know, how, how do we promote more diversity inclusion and ultimately equity within the water sector? And, you know, many of our initiatives looked at, you know, volunteer of the future, our resiliency of our water workforce. Obviously we know we have an aging workforce Mm -hmm. and we've been talking about the great, uh, the great retirements and the brain drain and the silver tsunami for over 15 years. And so I think it's, worn many hats and had many iterations, but this has been an ongoing challenge for the water sector, right? And so one of the key data points that really helped us be able to have some some numbers and um, a, a nationwide kind of data metric was the Brookings Institution Water Workforce Report which really kind of took a deep dive into the water workforce challenges in terms of looking at, you know, how do we build a pipeline of future water workforce um, members? Mm -hmm. And part of that report also showcased that as much as we've seen improvements in our water workforce, as of 2018, 2019, we were still at 85% male water professionals and over two thirds white. And so obviously we know that that doesn't necessarily reflect the communities that we serve. And obviously we recognize that that was part of the challenge of retaining and recruiting talent in the water sector. And so, um, you know, I speak as a woman and as a person of color and as somebody who's not over 65. right? Right. And so With all that, we realized if we want to create change and impact in the water sector, we also have to look within the Water Environment Federation members. And granted, we're an international organization, and so being diverse can look very different for many of our different member associations. But ultimately, um, when we look at the organization, we realized there's a lot of work to do internally, both on the staff and volunteer side, before we can try to impact on a more effective level what happens in the water sector. And so as Donnell mentioned, we went through this charter, we went through a number of different initiatives. We actually came up with hundreds of different things that we could do to positively impact diversity, inclusion, and equity uh, in the water sector but came up with a more detailed action plan that really focused on WEF as an organization from both the staff and member side so that we could then start to have that domino effect and impact because, you know, um, I think the first thing everyone does is look at numbers, right? We look at, we look at visible diversity. We look at numbers, we look at demographics, but then comes the hard part, which is the action part and, and recognizing how, having a diverse, inclusive, and equitable workforce actually improves innovation, actually improves economy, actually improves um, resiliency in our workforce, actually helps further our sustainability efforts. And so with all that, we, we broke down a number of the different initiatives and prioritized them and really created definitive actions and metrics that we could take to help move that needle recognizing that we weren't going to go from zero to 180 overnight, 
but that these, these actions could build upon each other based on a foundation that we set with the work that we did with the task force and with, you know, the subcommittee in the past year. And, and now as a full committee, we're really trying to move that needle. Yeah. And Megan, you said something a little earlier on that I think was a great point to bring up and that, you know, when you're looking at the numbers and statistics about who, you know, works in the industry, it's not totally representative of the people that the water sector is serving. So how, you know, what can, you know, municipalities at the local level or associations at the local level, what are some action items they can take to make sure they're more representative of the communities they're serving? Yeah, so I can definitely speak to this and then Donnell can certainly add to it as well. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, public outreach is an important segment of what we do. Um, Anecdotally speaking, we all know, you know, police and fire do a lot of outreach to young students in elementary schools. And so in elementary school, a lot of kids say my dream job is to be a police officer or a firefighter because that's what they know, right? We know what we know. And uh, a lot of what our career aspirations are, are generally tangential to what our parents and family members know and do. Mm -hmm. And so for us to be able to attract more Um, more top talent to the water industry, we have to get out there and we have to showcase all of the different skills and all of the different jobs that are out there in water. Because even within the industry, when we say jobs in water, we immediately think about engineers and operators. Maybe we'll think about lab folks, but we have to expand that to recognize that the water sector also needs lawyers. We also need designers and we also need computer scientists and we also need artists and we also need journalists and so many other skills, accountants, you know, you name it, you name the, you name the career, we have a job for it in water. And so by broadening (laughs) the ways that you can impact and influence the future of water and also making awareness to the number of different benefits of working in water, that's one way. But the other piece too, is being intentional in your recruitment efforts, because oftentimes when we go to recruit, we often say, well, I tried to find diverse candidates and I just couldn't find any. And, and we know And the numbers tell us that, you know, for example, for women, uh, men are eight times more likely to get a job in STEM out of college than than women. Mm -hmm. So already there, you see that disparity in, in those numbers. And then within their first 12 years of their career, women are 50, the attrition rate of women in STEM careers is 50%. And so half the women who actually make it into a STEM career within their first 12 years, we leave that STEM career. And some may say, well, women have kids, women have other priorities, this and that. Mm -hmm. And so then you compare it to other industries. That attrition rate is only 20%. So there is a drastic difference when it comes to careers in STEM. And we're just talking about women. Now you add in women of color, you add in people of color, you add in neurodiversity, you add in a number of different other factors. And so we have to be intentional not only in our recruitment and outreach efforts, but also in our retention efforts too. Um, a couple things I'll add. Uh, the first step typically is some type of research or data gathering, similar to how we approached it at WEF. Where am I now? How do I measure my organization's uh, present condition? And once you evaluate that, whether you use surveys, focus groups, uh, demographic data, whatever works to give you a a good idea, a snapshot of where you are, then you work on a roadmap, a strategy for how do I address this specifically? Because it has to be a holistic approach. 
what we've learned with DNI is, and it's, it's, it's a principle we've mentioned before, where culture eats strategy for breakfast. So you can dive right into a strategy and start cranking, but as long as the culture hasn't changed, you're working against uh, yourself. You're basically swimming against the current. So to, to begin to impact the culture of the organization, you gotta have something holistic. How am I going to build a DNA culture at this organization? Similar to how many of our organizations built a safety culture. We were very intentional. We started talking about safety in everything we did. We started fighting, creating metrics for safety. We found ways to uh, incentivize safety. We found ways to hold people accountable for safety in the same way. If we want to build a DNI culture, we bring some of those same principles that we've used to build other types of culture in our organization uh, to DNI. And that's when we start getting down into the weeds of all right, we did an evaluation of ourselves and we realized the gaps we have are really pronounced in recruiting, or the gaps we have are really pronounced in retention or the gaps are really pronounced when it comes to promotion or at the executive level or at the mid-level and you, or, or in certain locations of our organizations. Uh, there are so many ways you're gonna figure out where you are if you do an evaluation of where you are. And I always believe in bringing in experts because if I'm gonna build a safety culture, you can have a bunch of volunteers who are good at communications and good at uh, all different other things to help you build a safety culture in the organization, or you get some safety professionals who know about safety to actually help you build safety into your business. Because every other thing we do within organizations, we find subject matter experts. If I wanna build a better financial backbone for my organization, I don't just get somebody who's really, really good at uh, some unrelated thing right. to come, uh, be my CFO and lead us in the right direction for finances. I get somebody who knows what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. So in the same way, we should be as intentional with DEI to get people who know what they're talking about because we 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 try to build DEI cultures and organizations with volunteers who could just kind of read a couple of things on Google and then bring it to the organization versus people who actually know what they're talking about and who are subject matter experts who have some qualifications who did some training. So I think that really helps the organizations. Yeah, absolutely. And I was reading the WEF website about, you know, the committee that you guys co-chair. And one of the things that really stood out to me and that I feel like a lot of people maybe don't totally understand is that diversity, equity, and inclusion are not mutually exclusive, right? And so I'm wondering if you guys can explain that and touch on why it's important that all three are achieved. Yeah. And in fact, as Donnell alluded to, our initial task force was called the Diversity and Inclusion Task Force. And through our inner work and through our own edification and journey, and as we started talking about what does a diverse workforce look like for WEF and what does a diverse workforce look like for the water industry and why is diversity important, but why can't it stop there? Why do we have to also then create an inclusive culture that promotes a diverse workforce and why can't it stop there? And that's where we realized, you know, you, you can have numbers, right? You can be diverse, but if you're not inclusive, then 
those numbers aren't reflective of and aren't maximizing the benefits of having a diverse workforce because you're just having a quota as opposed to truly inviting people to the party, truly inviting people to the table. And then we realized you can invite people to the table to have a voice, but then if you aren't creating equitable opportunities to create space for that voice and to provide equitable opportunities to give everyone an opportunity to have an input and to have a stake, then the inclusiveness isn't all ma maximizing the benefits of the diversity at the table either. And so that's where diversity, equity, and inclusion, all three working together, help create that dynamic industry and organization that we're looking for. But at the same time, we also have to recognize that coordination of diversity and the priorities that arise from that Nell's definition of inclusion, my definition of equity may not all align. And that's why we actually spent quite a bit of time as defining what diversity, equity, and inclusion look specifically like for WEF. Because that way, once we could align on what the goals and objectives and what those definitions are, then into action. And that's where, you know, I think Donnell highlighted very well. It, it, it all starts with the research and getting the data and understanding this is the snapshot of where we are. This is, this is, this is our moment in time. But then the hard part is the action to start moving that needle. And so I think we get excited about making drastic changes right away because, you know, so many of us see the benefits of it. But one thing that I've had to remind myself and those around me is that lasting change is often incremental mm -hmm. and that big changes can actually start small. And, and if we build upon those small changes, then over time, we can have a colossal impact that will last. And our goal is not just to create a moment in time where we think about it and try to do a bunch of things, but really create a movement where it lasts because our industry needs it. We need it. Our communities need it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you bring up a good point too, and how, you know, people might have a different idea of what inclusion looks like. And that brings up a question I have, which is, you know, right now we have multiple generations in the workforce. We have Gen Z coming in, we have millennials that are there. We still have some boomers around too. And so how do you get a cohesive- Don't forget Gen X. And Gen X, thank you. <laughs> that, um, you know, how do you get a cohesive, you know, plan for what DE&I looks like when you have all these different generations coming in that might have different ideas of what they look like? So one of the, the tools that we've used uh, to uh, get to our conclusions, our definitions, our standards, our approach is we're very intentional as to who gets a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. So we're not just uh, one group of folks coming up with the answers for everybody else, but we determine, hey, even the composition of the committee is intentional. So there needs to be somebody from the Young Professionals Committee, which would be a young professional. There needs to be somebody from this particular demographic. There needs to be somebody from that demographic. And when we approach our solutions with that understanding, then we ensure that at the table, making these decisions, coming up with these definitions, driving these outcomes, are people from the different groups 
And what it leads to is a lot of robust conversation. So you may go to the website and be like, oh, you guys have that written out there. We know what it took and how much back and forth, how much debate, how much research, how many times you have to table things and be like, all right, we'll come back to this next time. And next time you come, bring it. And we had a lot of those conversations so that in the end, we can come up with a consensus. Hey, this represents all of us. And yes, we did make sure there were people in the room representing different age groups because there were older people, there were younger people, there was a mix. And that's all intentional. If you're going to do DNI, then you need to do it with a diverse group of people. That just has to be intentional because it, and it's a weird thing. Believe it or not, everybody didn't understand that. And that was one of the challenges we ran into. I'm in my own organization. Like the way I got involved with DNI in my organization was because I was doing it outside in the industry. And we had a diversity uh, training and the people presenting the training were diverse. And what was funny is the response of folks, folks didn't even give them a chance. They were like, are you serious right now? <laughs> like they didn't even give them a chance. And they just knew from next year, we better make sure if you're going to talk about diversity, show it to me from the moment right. you walk into the room. Everybody needs to have a seat at the table to even define what it means to us. We cannot project onto others what it means. They need to have a voice. And that's our intention. Absolutely. And I, I do feel like, you know, when you're going to address DEI, you also have to do a lot of you know, whether it's self-reflection or company reflection of what's already going on. And so what advice can you give to companies or associations that are looking to be better about making, you know, having that holistic approach to DEI? What what can you tell them? You know, how can they get started on that journey? I think you said it. You have to start from within. You have to look in the mirror. If you want to help change your surroundings, if you want to help increase learning and understanding and empathy in others, you also have to do the same. And so there are a plethora of resources available online. There are books on books on books. There are podcasts. There are classes you can take. There are online courses that you can take for free. Um, there, there is no shortage of resources, but it's also having conversations, right? And creating safe spaces to have uncomfortable conversations and normalizing the discomfort that comes from learning something different and new and something that pushes your current understanding of the world around you. And, you know, I think it's a good way to kind of wrap up a lot of the different themes and threads we pulled together, right? Because to your point, there's many different aspects of diversity and generational diversity is just one of them. And in fact, we actually went through an exercise with our board where we looked at all the different aspects of diversity that typically come to mind, whether it's family status, whether it's neurodiversity, whether it's religion, whether it's, um, you know, age, gender, education, you name it, and how that plays a role in how we perceive people, how implicit bias plays a role in how we react to situations and people, and being aware and creating more self-awareness and understanding and recognizing that we all have implicit biases that influence how we behave and show up in this world. 
And at the end of the day, the goal of an inclusive and equitable organization isn't to say that, you know, this person's good and this person's bad, or this person's qualified and this person's not, but to really understand that each person shows up for who they are and to create places where we can help people show up in the best versions of themselves, because ultimately that's what benefits our organizations and our societies. And so I think if you want to make a difference, keep growing and learning yourself and eventually you will start to impact those around you. And that's where you create the most influential impact. And that's where you can create the biggest change. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, how have you guys seen, whether it's been the last couple of years, like you said, when there's been a heightened awareness around DE&I or before, how have you seen the water industry change, if you have? So I'll chime in. Uh, and to pick back on the last question, uh, one of the things that we made tremendous progress on is we put tools on the WEF website. Okay. So if you go to WEF.org and find the DE&I page, there are actually downloadables awesome. that are simple one pages that you can use to help guide uh, the approach. And they, they weren't just created off the cuff. We worked with our consultants, uh, worked with the committee, and uh, went through some rigorous uh, research and uh, development to come up with these downloadable items. So you can actually go to the web website and get something to start with and work with those items there. So we're happy that that's a part of what we're doing to provide resources because as Megan said, there's so much out there. You might be like, I don't know where to start. Right. <laughs> the web website, where we give you some tools and we give you some recommendations and you can start right there. And considering the question that you asked, 2020 changed the world. Yeah. And it changed our world in the United States and it changed our world in water. So uh, one of the things that we've done is uh, one of the initiatives that WEF did was the House of Delegates started a DEI work group. And that work group did some research on what the member associations, which are in the it's like 45 member associations. So we almost got the entire country coming. And uh, what have they been doing related to DEI? Mm -hmm. And there was a spike in 2020 in terms of the interest. They started doing task forces and people started having committees, people who had never done anything before. Okay. It became front and center as an issue. So we have, we have taken advantage of that because as Megan said, the work had been going on prior so what happened in the U.S. in 2020 and our task force started in like 2018. So we have been working for years uh, and that was just one of the many things that WEF was doing. WEF had started the inflow program in 2018 also, reaching out to um, underrepresented racial minorities and underserved communities to um, uh, create awareness about the water industry. But 2020 just breathed fire into the efforts because now, it was no longer a niche offering. It was no longer something that, well, you know, the DEI people who are into that. It's they're doing that. Not right. everybody. Every room is talking about it, from the mail room to the boardroom. Yeah. You could not ignore DEI. So it's really quickened and heightened the awareness. And 
uh, as I've mentioned to many people, people who typically would not be amenable to it. And I know from my own member association, the resistance we faced uh, 2015, 16, 17, the kind of things we were doing and the people who were against us. And to see some of those same people now in the room promoting D and I, something really happened between 2020 and now. So there has been a shift. Yeah, absolutely. And then my last question for both of you is just, what do you, so why is water, or sorry, DEI so important to the water industry? What do you want the water industry to understand about how important it is to have DEI? I mean, we kind of touched on it at the beginning, right? It's so important because we're having challenges hiring the water workforce. Uh, I'm part of a number of different groups online and, you know, um, I wear another hat as the president of the board of directors for the municipal water district of Orange County. And there are many municipalities that are struggling to find qualified and interested um, workers at all levels and of all backgrounds. And then, you know, I spent the better part of my career doing engineering consulting and every day I get messages from people looking for um, people to join their organizations because there just aren't enough interested and qualified and um, applicants at all levels. And so that's one, right? We need right. to have a resilient and sustainable workforce because the work of water is important. We all need water to survive and thrive. And um, the one thing we know for sure is that every human being is mortal. <laughs> and so <laughs> as much as we want to work forever, right. um, our current workforce is aging and we have to be able to pass on that institutional knowledge and the historical insights that our seasoned professionals have. And so we have to recruit, we have to recruit talent at all levels and all roles, but then we also have to retain them mm -hmm. because we, we can't just build up talented individuals and then have them take those transferable skills to another industry or to another job. And so there's, there's a huge priority that comes from building a resilient workforce, but then there's the other piece too, right? You've been hearing a lot about the need for innovation and change and the need for us to, to really innovate what we do as an industry and how we do what we do. And if you want to create innovation, the best way to do so is to have diverse teams mm -hmm. and research shows us, I, we don't have time for to go into all of that, but there are so many different research endeavors that show us that having a diverse team promotes greater innovation. And, and so at the end of the day, if we want to thrive as a water industry, not only do we need to focus on recruitment and retention, but we also have to really look at how are we building diverse, inclusive, and equitable organizations to become better organizations and, and to stay relevant as an industry. So that's very hard to follow. This <laughs> <laughs> is why we're a good team. <laughs> I, I, I was writing a list and I keep crossing things out. Oh, she said that. She said, <laughs> that. She said that. There is one thing I could add though. Our customer base is changing. That too. The demographics of the United States of America in 2030 Right. will be different right. from the demographics of the United States of America in 1930. And 
What is important is our industry demographics have not been changing at the same rate as our customer demographics. And believe it or not, empathy is positively impacted by diversity. Yeah. I care for certain communities because I do have a connection with that community. It's a tall order to ask somebody who has zero connection to say, you know what? Because it's your job, I need you to be empathetic. I need you to really care about this community because you just need to care, which is, which is a tall order. It's not impossible, but when you have a diverse workforce, the way we approach our customers, our attitude toward them, toward the way we serve them, toward the way we listen to them, the way we provide customer service, the equity with which we pr provide our services, it begins to be positively impacted. Right. And I believe the water workforce has to start to catch up with the demographics of the country. And many municipalities know, just like the police force has issues, if my demographics don't match the community, there's a gap. And it's a gap that you have to try really hard to fill without simply becoming more diverse, because it helps. So that would be the one thing I'll add, because you even <laughs> nailed all the rest. <laughs> and Donnell, your point actually made me think of a book recommendation, Katie, for your listeners. Uh, 2030, since Donnell's brought up 2030 specifically, is a book by Mauro Gielen. Okay. And um, he was a Wharton professor and he's now with uh, Cambridge. And he actually talks about global trends that will influence the world. And he looks at what the world will look like in 2030. And Donnell's point is covered in that book. So I highly recommend it if you haven't read it yet. Awesome. Thank you. I have not read it. I'm a big reader. So I'll add it to my list and I'll make sure our audience knows about it too. So thank you so much for that. And I know we could talk about this for hours and it deserves like an hours long conversation, but I do want to let you guys go. I know you're both so busy, but thank you so much for joining me today and for having this discussion with me. I really, really appreciate it. Our pleasure always. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Donnell and Megan, for having that conversation with me and for joining us on Talking Underwater. You both brought up such great insights, and I'm eager to keep conversations about DE&I going. So thank you again so much. We really appreciate it. That does wrap up our episode for today. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. So I'm going to throw it over to Lauren to go ahead and start that. Awesome. Thanks, Katie. And thanks for conducting that great interview. I just want to say, you know, as the co-host of this podcast, these are important topics for us and we'll continue the dialogue and appreciate your feedback as well. So in housekeeping for WQP, we are very excited to announce our 2022 WQP industry icon. We're going to announce that at the start of March. So stay tuned for some very great coverage. And if you want to know as soon as that drops, subscribe to alerts at wqpmag.com backslash subscribe. And in terms of upcoming travel where you can look out for me and my lovely smile in person, um, I will be at the WQA convention early April in Orlando and would love to meet some listeners. Over to Bob for the latest in Water and Waste Digest. 
Yeah, so for Water and Waste Digest, we are coming up on kind of the ending portion for nominating for our young professionals. Those are going to be due at the beginning of March. You can do so at bit.ly slash nomination. It is never too early to recognize a rising star in your organization, so please do so today. We will be featuring 10 of them in our May 2022 issue. Also, I want to also plug the weekly video interviews that I've been conducting called WWD Weekly Digest. You can find them at bit.ly slash WWD Weekly Digest. The latest and upcoming videos have focused on the lead and copper rule revisions, cybersecurity, operational technology security, and coming up in March is an interview on PFAS regulations for the water and wastewater industry. And lastly, I wanted to also plug some of the events that I will be attending as well. I will be at the Membrane Technology Conference from February 21st through February 24th in Las Vegas, and I will also be attending the Water Reuse Symposium March 6th through 10th. So if you're at either of those events, please shoot me a line. I'd love to connect with you at those shows. Katie, how about you? So similar to WWD, the nomination period for Young Pros and Industry Icon uh, programs are closing on March 1st. So you have just a little bit more time to get your nominations in for both of those programs. So please go ahead and send us your great nominations. To do so, you can visit www.eastormwater.com slash nominations. And don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, and really anywhere you can get podcasts. You can also reach us always at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com to share your thoughts. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TUWpodcast. Thank you so much for listening. Happy birthday, Katie. (laughs) Thank you.